You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestors and then to mine. I call out to all of those people who lived well and died well and bring all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines to us and a great legacy that we can draw on, that we might learn from those who have gone before us, that we might Uh, Stop making the same mistakes that we already have seen uh, generation after generation do not work and that we can draw on the rich legacy of these people who have reconciled their own lives to help us to understand what we might do differently, what roads always lead to the same outcome and help us to strike a new path. To, to break new ground and to find a way to go forward in a way that humanity may have forgotten for a while. So we ask these ancestors to gather around us here today to help us as humans to step up and meet the challenges of our time and to do so in a way that is good for all living things. And let us reach through these human ancestors and extend our awareness of our family to all of the other living things here on this earth and let us extend to those ancestral helping spirits who were here long before anyone ever dreamt up the idea of a human and will be here long after. I call out to these ancestors to help us to remember that which abides, help us to cultivate those things that do go with us when we die. And I call out to these ancestors to help us to remember our true nature and to find in that true nature the strength necessary to bring our unique gifts to the world and to do so in a way that allows humanity to take its place in the great web of life as a blessing and not a blight. I call out to these ancestors to help us at this time of profound change and transformation to help us to show up in a good way for all of life. And as these ancestors gather around us here today, let us open our awareness to call ourselves in from wherever we might be, drawing our energy into our head with the next breath from our head to our belly, from our belly down, oh, sorry, (laughs) from our head to our heart, and from our heart down to our belly, and from our belly, let us reach to the earth, and let us connect to the earth in this moment, take a moment and focus to reach deep, deep into the earth, to give gratitude to this home, this place on which you journey, the great journey of your life. We give gratitude for the beauty and the diversity, the challenges and the gifts along that journey. We give gratitude for all that has been, that has brought you to this moment, to all that is and all that will be. And we give thanks to the earth for the wonder in her dreaming, that anything that needs to change can be changed as long as we are still breathing. And for that great compassion, we give thanks as we extend our energy down, down deeply into the center of the earth, allowing our gratitude to pour out on each layer of the earth as our energy moves down, anchoring firmly in the center. And we take a moment to connect ourselves to the earth, to connect into these energies that are all that is before, before the abundance, before all of life here on earth, that energy that is not yet a thing. We connect into that this energy that draws its strength from darkness, from stillness and silence, from peace. And we connect into this energy and begin to draw it up. We draw it up to nourish our soul and our body. We draw it up to rejuvenate and revitalize and to replenish and to bring in the abundance in our lives. As we reach down into this energy of the earth in deep gratitude, we call up the wisdom of manifestation and learn better how to be here in form in a good way. 
Now, as we draw the energy of the earth up into our body, we call on that energy to help us to more deeply understand how to be present in our body and have our body present here on earth, to ground deeply into the earth and into the things that have heart and meaning for us, and to build our sense of home and our sense of belonging and place from that which has heart and meaning, not simply habit and that which is expected but that which truly has heart and meaning in our life. And may we build that sense of home in a way that opens the door to those who are in need and sets a place at the table for the other. May we welcome in diverse opinions and ideas, and may we allow those other ways of being to challenge us, to provoke us into becoming the men and the women that we were truly born to be. And we ask these energies to come in and to help us all to grow in our sense of possibility of who it is that we are. And in this way, may we come into right relationship with all the aspects of ourself, right relationship with those around us, right relationship with our environment, right relationship with the invisible world. And as we reach out to all of these energies, may we know ourself in this great web of life and take our sense of self from our place in that great oneness. And as we draw this earth energy up from our belly to our heart and our heart to our mind, let us reach up and out the top of our head, out into the sky and whatever weather it holds for you today, out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos, reaching all the way up to the highest power of the universe by whatever way you know this energy, by whatever name you call it, reach out to it, connect yourself to it and it in you, know that moment of oneness with the divine and draw these radiant energies down. Drawing this energy down into yourself, into your day, into these proceedings, and in this way we call down the essence energy of blessing to fill us, And move through us out into the world. And we call down the essence energy of protection. Drawing it in and allowing it to fill us. Allowing it to take its place in our life. And extend out to others who are in need of that protection. We call this energy down to receive the benevolence of this universe. Let it inspire commitment and devotion. Let it be the illumination in the dark. The inspiration. We call this energy in that we might feel the beneficence of our great universe and to allow it to infuse us and be part of the reality of our day. So as we call these radiant energies down into our head and our heart and our belly and send them all the way down to the center of the earth, let us become this place in which the heaven above and earth below, the earth and sky, these two great legendary lovers come together within us, creating a great column of light great column of energy, a great column of big love. And may the spirit of that big love awaken your own heart. May your heart awaken and call up that energy that is the transforming fire in the heart, that crucible of transformation. And call up that fiery passion of the belly. We don't always understand exactly what it is, but may we draw it up into the heart and draw down the crystal clarity of the mind, drawing these energies in together and let them wrestle a bit in this dynamic tension that gives birth to this third and most sacred thing, which is your own understanding, your memory, your feeling, some sense of getting why you are here And may you find courage in that very same and beautiful human heart to do something large or small in this day, to make your own true gifts manifest here in the world. And for all of the spirit help that you have and all of the spirit help that I have to do this task, I give great thanks. May what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard. And may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. I'd like to give thanks to Denara and Edward and Sharon and Daisy and all of the listeners who have donated the show. Why, you might ask if you're a new viewer, because Why Shamanism Now is listener supported. It is donation based. You can go to whyshamanismnow.com. For those of you who haven't found that yet, the show has its own website. And you can click the support button and donate um, any amount. Scroll down a little bit and donate any amount, large or small, in any denomination. We are happy for every penny, ruble, euro, or yen, or whatever. Um, It all goes to keeping the show on the air, keeping the archives available to anyone who can get on a computer, and they're available free anywhere in the world. And we are now slowly approaching 400 hours of archived shows. And so 
if this show is meaningful to you in some way, if it moves you in your heart, even if it moves you to frustration and irritation, which I've managed to do um, <laughs> quite a bit the last few shows, um, you've been moved. And may you um, open your heart to that and allow that which motivates you in your heart to, to motivate your actions in the world. And this is the most fundamental of shamanic understanding of power is that which moves our heart then motivates our actions in the world. And so if you find this show helpful for that in any way, I ask you to consider to do something, large or small, to help the show to grow and stay alive. And if you're not able to donate financially, there are many, many ways that people are helping. Some people are transcribing their favorite shows and sending the transcriptions in to me. Some people are sharing them. Some people are bringing them to their journey circles. There are many, many, many ways that you can engage with the information here and begin to bring it through and make it manifest um, in the world today. And so I'm grateful for all of it, every little bit of it, because without your assistance and your support, we would not still be here. So thank you all for all you were doing to help us to keep why shamanism now vital and interesting and available to people around the world at this time. So we can all become better at making our shamanic skills um, practical and applicable to our contemporary times. Speaking of contemporary times, the topic of our show today is love in the time of chaos, tools for change. And we are live today, so if you have any questions about today's topic, you are welcome to call in at 512-772-1938, or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site, or email me at any time you listen to the show at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. All right. So here we are in mid-November of 2016, and how do we find the eye in an intensifying storm of disorder and unrest and fear, hatred, things of that sort that make life feel unsettled and unsafe and profoundly chaotic? Shamanic people, traditional and contemporary, Know that the trickster had a hand in the making of this world and that that is the hand that we need to grasp to pull ourselves up into the possibility inherent in this chaos. At the same time, we need to look within and track the unconscious energies that want to recreate the old world as it has been, desperately trying to put back what is dying and falling apart. Indigenous people have been tracking this kind of unconscious energy and the way that it opens us to a psychic virus. And they've tracked this energy for many centuries, calling it by many names, um, Iipa, Watiko, many things. We refer to it usually on this show as Watiko. I kind of like the rhythm of the word. Anyway, Watiko is a psychic virus, as I said, and it is a true illness of the soul and it is at the root of humanity's inhumanity to itself. So what we have today here in the United States, but also manifest in different ways around the world, is an ever-growing expression of humanity's inhumanity towards itself. And this is in many ways why the podcast exists at all, is to help us how to help us understand how to apply shamanism to our contemporary lives. The spirits come to us in shamanism because they want us to be better people. They want us to be more humane. They want to teach us to use the profound power that we are as manifestation machines for the good of all life. And so they come to us to help us to do that. And so in many ways, that is entirely the reason that this whole series of podcasts exists so that we can do a better job and be better humans. It is certainly why the cycle teachings exist very specifically, that these are ancient teachings adjusted in a way that punches forward the aspects of shamanic cosmologies that help us to deal in a time of high chaos and risk and disorder. Not that this is the only time humanity's ever been facing that, but it may be the first time this much humanity has been on the planet at the same time. Uh, facing its own inhumanity towards itself together. 
So this is why spirit comes through um, in these ways and many other ways, these ways in the cycle teachings and the many other ways that it comes to us here as humans is to teach us how to be more humane. And so, you know, why? Why, why are we doing all of this? Well, You know, I've gone through the cultivation of a shamanic practice and the cultivation of, in a sense, a shamanic school. And then out of the school, 10 years of that, eight more years of the school running and realizing that we actually need a shamanic community and um, the helping spirits helped us to shape that community and told us we would be able to have it up and running and functional in two years. And now eight years later, it's still stumbling a bit as a child. It's, it's viable, but it still needs some growing up. And, and I asked constantly why we couldn't do it, why we were not able to manifest what spirit was so clear we should have been able to manifest in the time frame that was offered us and in the way that was offered us. And it kept circling back. The answer kept, kept circling back again and again to precisely the same thing, which is that we were not clearing what was done. We were not allowing that which was dead to die that we, we were not willing to embrace the discipline of emotional clearing as a, as a daily practice, not as a judgment that we have done something wrong, but as a way of understanding this is simply what human beings need to do, need to, do to stay energetically clear, to stay emotionally clear, so that they are able to stay psychologically clear and open to spirit and allow themselves to be in the world in a good way. And I got so much pushback from my community at that time. And these are, of course, people that are actually paying to study from me. And I'm still getting pushback. Right? <laughs> these are people that are choosing to be there. And I'm still getting pushback. What's the rush? Why, why are you driving us so hard? And in particular, why are you always so focused on the negative? And it's so fascinating to me how many people believe, truly believe, that to focus on what needs to be cleared, to focus on deter, de discerning that which is dead and needs to be let go, to focus on that which is past and triggering your projecting the past on the present moment, thus obfuscating what needs to happen in the present moment, that all of those ways of being are somehow focusing on the negative and that to attend to those things is not being positive. And I find that distortion of spiritual truths deeply problematic in our time. And so I consider them basically all excuses to not look at what we need deeply to look at to become better humans. And so, you know, why was I pushing my community other than the fact that that's what spirit was guiding me to do, given the questions we were asking? Well, we see it all now. We see that answer right now writ large across the world stage and certainly writ deeply here in boldface in America, right? Because this is where we really are Right. This is the world that we are li really living in, this world with this hatred and this greed and this divisiveness and this lack of humanity. That's why. It's why all of it is happening is because this is actually where we have actually been the entire time that I've been in my practice, which, you know, it's not that long in the lifetimes of shamanism but anyway so my question for us is shall we change it right or shall we keep doing what we've been doing for me those of you that want to listen to the show I'm going to be talking about how we change it because I'm not really interested in doing what we've been doing because doing what we've been doing is inhumane and it is hurting people for no good reason so we're moving on we are going to say, yes, we shall do our best to change it. So now I've actually been talking very specifically about this, well, for eight years in the show, but really specifically for the last three months. So let's review. This is a show on the highly skilled wounded child so that we can start to really look at how are we being childish? How are we um, not actually bringing the health 
of the of the optimistic and adventure seeking healthy child archetype into our lives but we're actually just func- functioning out of a kind of childishness from not being willing to do that negative thing of looking at what's wrong to transform the wounding of the wounded child and how many people are engaging in a kind of skill building that allows them to continue to avoid that woundedness while they develop skills. And so they become highly, highly skilled wounded children. So we talked about how do we discern that? How do we begin to see that in ourselves? And most importantly, how do we begin to remedy it? Because we need your gifts. And a child in an adult body, a wounded child in an adult body can't bring the gifts. It's that, it's the bottom line. Then the next show is about resiliency, which is another piece, a word we really need to begin to embody and understand and begin to live. How do we cultivate resiliency so that we have the capacity to stand in the fire with each other and still open our hearts? And then to recover from the times that doesn't go well because it isn't always going to go well just because you opened your heart. And then we replayed some old shows. The whole purpose of these shows about gratitude and faith and blessing was about connecting into the power that is available here for every living being. And it is available equally. No group is more special. Nobody gets it more than anybody else. We can certainly cultivate a deeper relationship with it and thus access more of it. But it's not uh, looking for the chosen ones. It's equally available and that through gratitude, faith and blessing, we are able to access this power that allows us to cultivate and strengthen our own power within ourselves. The point of all of that and the replaying of those shows was for us to understand no matter what form we have chosen in this life and the systemic problems we face culturally dealing with that, not, there is not a living human being who is powerless Many of us are certainly denied options and freedoms relative to our power. I am not saying the world is fair. But what I am saying is there is no system that can take your power from you. There are only systems that can grossly limit and inhibit your freedom to use that power. And that's what we need to remember. For, to say the system makes me powerless is to misunderstand your power. And that was the point of these shows, is to help us understand again, where does the power of our humanity come from? And what do we need to cultivate, like gratitude, like faith, like blessing? What do we need to cultivate as capacities within ourselves to connect to that power and to constantly renew that energy within us? And then we moved on. And all of that was in many ways to lay a stage for Um, discussing racism, not from the perspective that I was some expert that could somehow lay down the the truth about racism, but but to talk with Langston um, as another shamanic practitioner is – and really asking the question, does shamanism and its unique perspective on life and do – give us a a, – other ways of looking at racism or a different perspective, a different window in – Another aspect of it, is there a way we can use our shamanic skills to engage with the transformation of the system that holds racism or sexism or whatever, but in particular, racism in place? And that was the purpose of those four shows. They don't cover all the bases, and but it's the beginning of a conversation to get us as a diverse group of people to begin to think about how do I apply – deploy my shamanic healing skills and my perspectives to my own internalized racism and part of part of understanding healing on a large scale people always say well we can't return everybody's soul soul parts you know not everybody wants to have their soul parts returned well yeah okay but understanding healing on a large scale means those that can do it need to and the more that they do even in doing my own healing for just to help clear the field. In other words, 
if I am able to grapple successfully with my own internalized racism, for example, it lifts up that field of people who are able to begin to wrestle their way out of that system. The more I choose not to look, the more I send energy into the field of those people who choose not to look. And this, um, and so this way of thinking about things is not only shamanic, but it's based on the one of the deepest shared spiritual truths of most systems, which is that there's no off button. You are here manifesting from the moment that you are born, and it only ends when you die. And so beware, learn to be a skilled and focused and intentional manifestation machine. Okay, so then we talked about time spirits and recognizing that there are influences on us in our time and that we can actually, because we're shamanic practitioners, we can use our shamanic skills to work with them as a quote-unquote spirit. We can work with them and engage with them and understand why they're rising up at this time um, in a way that often we can't, that, that other ways of dealing with time spirits sometimes sort of deconstructs the time spirit into nothing. Um, which doesn't change its influence on us. It just means we no longer have something to engage with. So we talked about that. So time spirits as opposed to the culture itself. And then we moved on to messages from the four archetypes about leadership in our time, about visionary energy in our time, about healer and the warriorship in our time, because these are the archetypal energies that the cycle teachings tell us are necessary for human beings to engage in transformation, their own and the transformation of their communities and their cultures and their time. And uh, the, the, the deepest message, I think, or the most consistent message, I guess I should say, from these archetypes was stop projecting. Stop projecting your uh, leadership onto others. Stop projecting your visionary energies onto others to transform that which keeps you attached so that you can shapeshift into what is needed in our time without losing your essence. And then finally, we got to the warrior who simply said, step up. What is your field of influence and step up? So how do we step up? How do we change how we are engaging in our day with people, in our work? How do we find those places where we can step up? So I'm going to connect some dots and so we can start taking our steps. So this is not actually one of the main dots I wanted to connect, but I do um, hear one way or another a lot of people talking about grieving at the moment. Um, so what I would encourage you to say from a shamanic perspective is to stop talking about it and start doing it. We need you. (laughs) Grief is active. It's not something you talk about. It's something that you engage in. It is active. Grief is movement, not stagnation. And that real grieving never wallows. And we must be deeply discerning in ourselves about cultivating the art of wallowing in anything but particularly right now in grief. So the dominant culture in America denies grief. It doesn't uh, just fear death. It denies death. And it actually um, steers us away from recognizing what is really required to grieve. In fact, um, there are a variety of um, dominant religious forces, largely white Christian forces, Judeo-Christian forces, but nonetheless, dominant religious forces that say don't grieve openly, that it is not virtuous. But the shamanic perspective is that there's a big problem in that, which is that not grieving the losses of our life is one of the most common reasons that the dead are not able to clear out of here when they die. Not grieving the losses of life creates ghosts, deeply sad, life-force-sucking ghosts trapped in their unexpressed grief, who then influence our lives, um, influencing us to continue to make exactly the same mistakes that they did, thus contributing to our problem right now of needing to change. So the problem with the dead not grieving and getting stuck here um, is that for the living – Uh, when we don't grieve, we lose our life. Our life stops and the natural life cycle of the heart is stopped. And so in losing um, 
So it's important to understand that losing what we love is the cause of feelings of grief. So what I would ask you if you feel like you're grieving is, um, did you really lose something that you love? What did you love? Or are you grieving the fact that you've lost um, your anonymity, you've been exposed? Or is it really all just disappointment? It's important that we discern because if we can't discern accurately, we can't apply the correct tool. So in The Smell of Rain on Dust by Martine Prechtel, the author states, and by the way, there is a show already in the archives about this. The author states that grief is what living beings experience when what or whom they love dies or disappears. Grief is not what people feel when they lose what they want or lose what they want to happen or when they don't get what they think they deserve. This is only disappointment. That if you are truly grieving, this is me, not Martine. If you're truly grieving, then what died or disappeared? What is your loss? Define it clearly and be honest about it. Some of you may be shocked to find what it is that you are actually grieving. So journey if you can't sort that out. Um, what has died for many is simply their freedom to continue to live in denial or the luxury to ignore your privilege. So ask yourself what died. Maybe hope died. Maybe a vision died. But whatever it is, define it so that you can grieve it. And as a living and breathing person, you can then rise up enough to see that if your hope died, then you had projected it out onto your leaders, just as the visionary said. So yes, if you're grieving, grieve. But be active about it. Be honest about it. We don't have time for anything else. So if you can't find what has died, then maybe all of this is just disappointment. Maybe it's time to call it what it is. Accurate diagnosis. This is what shamanism brings us. Accurate diagnosis, whether we like it or not, as we work with our helping spirits. And then we can bring the appropriate skills to bear on the situation to move the energy. I mean, disappointment is important. Disappointed in what? And if you are disappointed, then what are you going to step up to change and how are you going to take action to change it? That's the time that we're in. And that will allow us to move toward healing. So Martine Prechtel speaks of how grief is natural and necessary. And when there is real loss, and for many of you, there is real loss. So when there is real loss, grieving should never be avoided or postponed or posted about on Facebook and talked about, but not engaged in. Grieving is absolutely necessary. Without grief, the world would cease to renew itself. And so I ask you, isn't that uh, we want right now? It seems that whole uh, gist of the election is everybody from every different persuasion wanting change wanting some perspective on the world renewing itself. So if you're grieving grief, grief is not sorrow, though there are certainly stages of grieving that are sorrow-filled. Real grieving refuses to remain in sorrow. Grief is a phenomenon that must be purposely done, and grieving takes many forms. Grief is praise because it is the natural way the heart honors what it misses. So if you are grieving, grieve. Humanity needs to renew itself. Be that renewal. So as I said, Why Shamanism Now Archives has a show called Grief and the Healing Heart. And right now on YouTube, and I'm going to post these links on the Facebook page for the show after the show here today. Uh, but you can Google Martine Prechtel and Grief. And there's a two-part YouTube series with Martine speaking to grief beautifully. And then in the, just so you know, in the Why Shamanism Now show, there is a simple grief ritual for those of you that need one and don't know how to get one. You, I was told by spirit that anybody could do this ritual effectively and safely. So in an um, essay recently, or blog, I don't know what we call it now. <laughs> I'm getting so old. Anyway, posted re recently by Michael Mead on change. He says, change so greatly desired is not easily accomplished. Genuine change requires a sense of unity, a feeling of wholeness, 
um, that happens uh, when a person's entire life becomes altered, mind and body, spirit and soul. The same truth applies to a country or a culture which must touch its deepest, most inclusive roots in order to both unify and genuinely change. He continues, we live at a time when both nature and culture need healing, when people all over the world need a renewed sense of life um, that is indeed meaningful, that each living soul is worthy of love and respect. He continues, this is no time for cynicism or giving in to despair. This is the time we have come to life to live, a time to work for what we truly love. As an African proverb insists, what you love is the cure. What we love is the cure for what ails us and what brings healing to the human heart also helps heal the world. Yes. And you could probably hear me saying something similar like that. In fact, we've probably got shows where I have. Yes, and. And at issue at this time, not just in the United States, but around the world, but particularly here in the United States, at issue at this time is that most people feel they are acting out of love, that they are acting to manifest what they truly love as they understand And for some people, love is defined in very small, selfish terms. For others, on larger terms. There are are many, many dynamics to love. And so the issue that I want to challenge us with here, myself included, is that everybody believes that they are acting to manifest what they truly love personally, right? What they love My sense is that what is needed now, what is required for each of us, is to move from what we truly love, to love itself, simply and difficultly, the true love for all life. Because when I expand my intention for myself to all of life, I suddenly have to not do the things that inhibit others and their ability to manifest what they love in life. And of course, the trust would be that they would also limit their expression so that they are not limiting other people's expression, right? So this is what the whole sort of like right to free speech is about, is you have to actually honor the right of someone who's speaking things you don't agree with to have that freedom to speak or you don't have your own. And so this applies here also for love, as I think we have to move beyond just what moves our heart, as I say in the opening of the show, and what has, what has meaning and purpose for us, but that what has meaning and purpose for us and then open ourselves to something bigger. So anyway, it's just a thought for us to chew on here. As, as in the Northern Hemisphere, at least, we sort of dive into the winter time. So anyway, then we can begin to see where we hold a vision of what we love that requires, that does not require that others forsake what they love. Right? We need to understand this and to see it as unacceptable to, to do what we love in a way that requires that others' lives are enslaved. Others' lives are distorted to the point where they are no longer free to pursue what it is that they love. And this will mean that those that are those who are used to getting pretty much what they want when they want it are going to have to make new choices. And rec- it needs to become unacceptable to feel free. For the United States, I think, is still taking, what is it, 60% of the world's resources for one country. I mean, we just need to feel in our hearts how that imbalance is unjust and inhumane. So let's continue to connect some dots because that was all just actually the first sidebar on the dot connecting of the day. Okay, so if we move on here... I'd like to draw everyone's attention 
to Charles Eisenstein once again. I was actually shocked the other day when I brought this up and nobody in the room knew who I was talking about. (laughs) It's like, what? Anyway, on November 10th, right after the election, Charles wrote a blog called The Election of Hate, Grief, and a New Story. And I'm going to talk about some of this because this is a dot that I've been trying to connect on this show for years now. Well, at least since 2012. Because in spite of what everybody thinks about what did and didn't happen, we did end a world and begin a new world. And so the old world and the old wood story is actually dying. In many ways, it's actually already dead. And what we're experiencing right now is this sort of last gasp of this this way of living and seeing things, desperately trying to maintain control, even though it's on its death throes, which was why it's um, so particularly virulent right now and willing to do anything to save itself because it's got nothing to lose at this point because it's already lost. Now, you listen to me say that and you're like, yeah, 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 Christina, as people have been saying to me for 30 years. Yes, thank you very much. But the beauty of Charles is, is Charles, that his beauty is his ability to speak to this as a philosopher with such intelligence and compassion that you have to go, huh, right? So Charles is my go-to guy because he is far more patient and intelligent than I am, and he can unpack anything in a way that is intelligent, that tries to be fair, that is um, just and compassionate, and when it isn't and someone brings it to his intention, he will redo the unpacking to to allow himself to learn and grow and keep understanding what it is, who it is that we need to become at this time to truly be new people and write a new story. Okay, so back to Charles. And back to my question recently, not here on Why Shamanism Now, but out in Facebook land, which was at what point in time does your desire to educate yourself about how other people feel, which I think is important to do, to understand how people who don't think or feel the way you do are thinking and feeling. It's important. And at what point is it churn? At what point are you just avoiding your own work and taking action? At what time does posting things on Facebook substitute for engaging in sort of, in, in, um, and I'm not saying signing a petition on Facebook is a bad thing. But I'm saying, questioning, at what point are you absolving yourself from larger actions that need to be taken by just clicking and poking and posting and scrolling? It's just a question. So Charles says, about this time, immediately, right here, right now, that normal is coming unhinged here in the United States. I'm reading now from his essay. For the last eight years, it has been possible for most people, at least in the relatively privileged classes, to believe that society is sound, that the system, though creaky, basically works, and that the progressive deterioration of everything from ecology to economy is temporary, is a temporary deviation from the evolutionary imperative of progress. See, he's so much smarter than I am. Anyway, why does it matter? Why, why am I bringing your attention to Charles's work? Because if we can't discern what is actually going on, we will craft our questions based on a false understanding of reality. And we will get answers to those questions from spirit. And we will act on those answers and nothing will change. Not within yourself, not in the world. The only way for us to get our shamanic practices, which are all divination driven, whether it's journeying or other form of divination, is to begin with a lucid and clear understanding of the problem in the first place. Thus, Charles. Okay. So Charles says the Clinton presidency would have offered four more years of that pretense. A woman president following a black president would have meant to many that things are getting better. It would have obscured the reality of continued neoliberal economics, imperial wars, and resource extraction behind a veil of faux progressive feminism. Now that we have, in the words of my friend, this is Charles talking, Kelly Brogan, rejected a wolf in sheep's clothing in favor of a wolf in wolf's clothing, the illusion will be impossible to maintain. 
and this is good. It is painful, sobering, but good. We are entering a time of great uncertainty. So back in 2012, as we clicked over in 2013, I did a show about embracing uncertainty, that the spirits told us at that time four years ago that we would need to develop the skills to function in a time of increasing uncertainty. This is the value of shamanism. Are we listening? Right? Not just to me. But are we listening to our helping spirits? Are we asking them the questions that position us where we need to be in the future? What are we doing with our shamanism? This is my question. So back to connecting the dots. Okay, so we are entering a time of great uncertainty. Institutions so enduring as to seem identical to reality itself may lose their legitimacy and dissolve. It may seem that the world is falling apart. For many, that process started on election night when Trump's victory provoked incredulity, shock, even vertigo. I can't believe this is happening. However, for people of color, people struggling to pay the rent or health care of any color, people of something other than Judeo-Christian explanation of the world, having other religions as their cosmology that inform them about what is going on, it was pretty clear that the world is already falling apart. So Charles continues to share his clear and concise and compassionate voice about what is happening underneath all of this churn, under all of the hatred and the blame and the denial and the grief, the greed, the shock, all of it, even under the fear. And this is in particular, this fear about what will happen, as if any of us right now have any frickin' idea of what is going to happen, right? So Charles says the dissolution of the old order that is now officially in progress is going to intensify. That changes your journey questions. That understanding of what is really going on here will change the fundamental assumptions that you're making when you're journeying. That's why this is important. And that presents a tremendous opportunity and danger because when normal falls apart, the ensuing vacuum draws in formerly unthinkable ideas from the margins. Okay, so unthinkable ideas could be inhumane ideas like rounding up Muslims in concentration camps um, to other ideas that are pretty drastic. But hey, dismantling the military industrial complex and closing down overseas military bases. The point is, as Charles goes on with other examples, is we don't know. And this vacuum creates this possibility to start thinking unthinkable ideas. As shamanic practitioners, you should be thinking unthinkable ideas right now because you have the capacity to work with spirit to shove those unthinkable ideas into your head through your work in altered states and start to understand what that seems unthinkable today is the medicine needed for tomorrow. That's where our practice needs to move to. That's the dot I'm trying to connect here. Okay. So anything becomes – Charles, back to Charles. Anything becomes possible with the collapse of dominant institutions. When the animating force behind these new ideas is hate or fear, all manner of fascistic and totalitarian nightmares can ensue, whether um, enacted by existing powers or those that rise in revolution against them. Because the issue is that the animating force of the new ideas is hate or fear. So – what is the animating force of your ideas? Great journey question. What animating force must I be in good relationship with to think the unthinkable that will lead to the medicine humanity needs at this time? That's a shamanic practitioner's question. That's where we need to be going. So back to Charles. That is why, as we enter a period of intensifying disorder, it is important to introduce different kinds of force to animate the structures that might appear after the old ones crumble. So in my community, our prayer that unifies our work together ends with may true love be the expression of power in the world, and may we be the ones to bring it. That means we are choosing as a community to have true love, not little, small, personal human love, but true love, the big love, the big love that has birthed this whole world into existence, that love, true love, be our animating force in the world. And we are together endeavoring 
to drag ourselves out of who we have been taught to be and become people who can live animated by that force and to do so in a way that bears fruit in the world. That's the entire purpose of Last Mass Community and the Cycle Teachings, to be people that can move that animating force. So what is your animating force? What is motivating your actions? What is motivating your action when someone posts on Facebook, I can't stand the people who can't, don't know the difference between there and there, the contraction. They're stupid. What is animating something like that? Really? Come on, people. We're better than this. Okay. So Charles says, for example, let's start with empathy. Politically, Empathy is akin to solidarity, born of understanding that we are all in this together. In what together? For starters, we are in uncertainty together. So back to what I've already said once in this program, but putting it into context here with Charles, we're looking at the, in the cycle teachings, what we're looking at is who are the specialists in shamanism that help us to deal with uncertainty. And in our work, we call them the crazy logic teachers. And they are death. They are crazy woman. They are the trickster and the enchantress. And part of working in this way shamanically is coming into strong relationship with these helping spirits as allies so that we can navigate uncertainty. And Charles says here that we are exiting an old story that explained to us the way of the world and our place in it. Um, some may cling to it all more desperately as it dissolves, looking perhaps to Donald Trump to restore it, but their savior has not the power to bring back the dead. Neither would Clinton have been able to preserve America as we've known it for too much longer. We are a society, we as a society are entering a place between stories in which everything that has seemed so real, true, right, or permanent comes into doubt. And this is important, especially if this just became gibberish for you, this idea of being between stories. This is kind of the point that I'm making is that when people are between stories, they are in transition. And there are two things that help us function well in transition because people tend not to function very well in transition. One is practices like Qigong, yoga, things that allow us to maintain our energy in spite of being in tran transition, in between stories. It's a big transition. It's taking years and years. How do you maintain yourself and not just have your energy leaked into that transition? But the other thing that helps us to function in transition is shamanic skills that allow us to operate well in altered states, but particular with the crazy logic teachers that teach us to find center and groundedness in the eye of the storm. Okay. So I'm going to leave you to go read the rest of Charles' essay. Charles Eisenstein. It's on his blog. And really look at that for how you can begin to think about your world differently and thus ask different journey questions and thus get different quality answers that will begin to affect how you take action in the world. So the thing, kind of jumping over a chunk here that I wanted to talk about because in the effort to connect the dots. But I'd like to connect another dot here because it really talks about things we've already talked about on the show, things Spirit's already given us to pay attention to and to connect these dots here at this time as resources that are already available to us, hopefully we've already been thinking about and we need to bring them to bear at this time. And so the next dot that I want to connect is the work uh, we brought forward in a book um, by Paul Levy, P, uh, Paul Levy, L-E-V-Y, about uh, this idea of Wetiko. Indigenous people have been tracking this psychic virus for many centuries. Wetiko is a Cree, Cree word, but I like it. And it, it's a psychic virus, which means that it does not exist without a host. 
The Crees say a Watiku is a diabolically wicked person or a spirit who terrorizes and cannibalizes others by means of evil acts. But if you think about this energetically, terrorizes and cannibalizes others, this is the history of the current United States of America. Right? Watiku is a way of thinking and feeling that um, lead together to a way of being. Watiku is a true illness of the soul or spirit and is at the root of humanity's inhumanity to itself. There is no possibility of awakening from this collective nightmare without awakening first to what is keeping us asleep. And that is the degree to which we allow ourselves to be a host for this virus. And I have brought this up more and more and more frequently this year and people, I get all these emails, what are you talking about? Well, go to the archives, buy Paul's book, read it, think about it. It's not an easy concept, but it is. The concept is actually at its simplest. You need to live in a way so that you are immune to this virus. Because if you are not immune to this virus, you will be a carrier. If you are a carrier, you will spread it back to field theory. So it's important for us to understand how do we become immune. To understand that, we will need to ask for help from spirit. To do that, we need to be able to ask the right questions. So, the, and then to understand that, that becoming immune to Watiko is about a way of living. It's not like I did my shadow work, I'm done. It's about recognizing that it is a process that you engage in on and off, discerning when it's needed for the rest of your life. And it's not just shadow work. My point was that was just an example. So the way that we become good hosts of Watiko is hatred for others, is calling others stupid, is any kind of fundamentalist thinking. No matter what it is we're thinking about, it's that quality of fundamentality that invites Watiko. Fear invites Watiko. Unconscious belief in the lie of separation invites Watiko. And I see this posted everywhere on social media right now. People inviting Watiko into their mind to breed more and more of this virus that leads us further and further into the lie of separation through our choices and through our thinking. Living in, living in the luxury of believing you don't need to do regular emotional clearing invites Watiko. Ignoring your shadow work invites Watiko. Refusing to open to healing your soul loss invites Watiko. Conscious or deeply unconscious racism, sexism, classism, all of them. Harboring these systems unconsciously or consciously invites Watiko. Watiko manifests and reveals itself through our species. So from Paul's book, he says that the transpersonal evil of Watiko can be considered um, that tendency which is out manifests in ourselves or in others that inhibits personal growth, destroys or limits innate potentialities, curtails freedom fragments or disintegrates the personality, diminishes the quality of interpersonal relationships, creates divisiveness in the whole human family. It limits and blocks our ability to love, to grow, and to evolve. Ask yourself, how many ways are you inviting in Watiko in your orientation to what is going on in the world? At the root of carrying this virus is choosing to remain unconscious and once conscious, then choosing to do nothing differently. In essence, to choose to go back to sleep. To become immune to Atika, we must do three things. We must end all ways of thinking and being that allow us to rationalize remaining artificially, unnecessarily, and or willfully unconscious. Like believing you don't actually need to gain some skills here. We all do. Second, we must learn the skills necessary to change the condition within ourselves that supports that unconsciousness. Back to the learn new skills. And engage them regularly as practice. And in this, we must reshape our way of life, our way of engaging with life. And then finally, the third thing is we must act differently in the world. We must internally transform and then motivate the new action. And these are three areas you can explore in your work with spirit. Use your shamanic skills to explore these areas and manifest change within yourself, in your consciousness. 
then transform to change that and then bring that transformation into the world through your actions. Ancient Hawaiians also tracked this virus, which they call Iipa. Their versions of it. From their perspective, immunity begins with becoming this person as your normal baseline. You love all that you see with humility. You must live all that you feel with reverence. And the foundation of this is respect. And that you know all that you possess with self-discipline. You even know that which possesses you. So I hope connecting these dots today has been helpful for you. I want to give thanks to the ancestors who gather around us and help us to learn from those who have gone before us, to the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. And I want to remind everyone that registration is up and running on the Last Mass Center homepage for the cycle um, teachings. Masks of Illusion happens in June 4th through 9th, and it is currently two-thirds full. So I would suggest if you plan on coming this year, you register before the end of the year. Thank you, everyone. Have a good week.